Welcome to another episode on Catalyzing Radical Systemic Change, where it's all about discovering, mapping, and cross-pollinating what I think are the necessary building blocks towards a planetary civilization ahead. And today's topic is very dear to my heart. Uh, the topic is collective trauma healing. And when I personally sense back into my own biography from the very early childhood, for whatever reason, I did not only perceive personal trauma through a very early childhood accident, but I was pretty much haunted by uh, the collective um, trauma, I'd say, of uh, war, genocide, and environmental destruction. So I personally was a very cerebral, uh, not very funny child, wild, but at the same time, always figuring out already, yeah, from very, very early childhood on, what is this mess we are collectively creating on this beautiful gem of a planet called Earth. So with that, uh, I end my own uh, two cents on the topic. And uh, I feel very grateful to be today in this virtual room together with uh, Kosha. Kosha is the CEO of the Pocket Project. And my first question for you today, Kosha, is when you look back into your own biography, and usually we have this couple of defining pivotal points. Um, please give us a sense of when this topic showed up in your life and how you try to respond to it. Hmm. Yeah, thank you, Alistair, and lovely to be here with you also for this topic transformation and global shift um, very close to my heart well I was born in South Africa and you know many strands came together in that um, there was a, a sexual abuse that took place very early in my life but that I actually forgot because I was so young. So it led to many symptoms throughout my life, but I, it took me 40 years or let's say 37 years from a three and a half year old to a 40 year old to actually suddenly have the memories come back. And so that was a big part of my life story. And a big, very interesting, adventurous exploration, and it's ongoing. So I'm 54 now, and I've done 14 years of very precise integration work on this topic. And I think any work we do in this area is really falls on the foundation of the deepest experiences that our nervous systems have made as very small children, babies, when the nervous system is very sensitive still and not so able to um, process intense energies. So that's one strand that I usually don't speak about. More public is the fact that I grew up in South Africa under apartheid. And 
the apartheid system, this was, I was born in 68, so this was really the 70s, and um, Nelson Mandela was already very active, and the armed arm of the ANC was planning for more attacks, also violent attacks on Kontowasizwe, because they saw that the system wasn't going to be shifted shifting just through peaceful means so at least some kind of showing you know we're here um seemed important but that was felt i think by in the society and definitely in my system as a threat you know what was clear is that i was living in a system that was deeply unjust and i could see it even though it was very hidden I grew up in a system of indoctrination, you could say, so very hidden, but it was palpable. You could taste it. I could taste it as a child that this was not right. And it was simple events in my life where I saw, for instance, an accident and I knew white people would never be transported in that way this would never have happened you know moments like that or seeing a mother and a child begging on the street and just knowing you know even as a very six-year-old it was visible and i started speaking out against it as a seven-year-old you know quite young in my family in my school and experienced the the backlash you know, of a system feeling under threat, wanting to protect itself, and then people speaking out against it. Um, yeah, and I saw the effect that it had, you know, in, I could only, in a way, imagine the effect that it had on all the other groups in South Africa, you know, I could, I experienced the effect it had on the white group. And I had, so I grew up with a deep sense of guilt and shame also towards, yeah, my own culture, my own people. And I, as a teenager, I became more radicalized. I joined the ANC at some point, not officially. I worked with the ANC. I joined anti-apartheid movements. I was in Amsterdam by this time and I co-organized a big conference um, for women from South Africa to come and to build a women's movement across South Africa. And that was another big turning point in my life where I realized I had been studying at that time and cultural anthropology and linguistics, because at that time there was no intercultural peace building studies. So that was the best I could do, the best I could think of. Um, and at that conference, I realized that I was not learning what I needed to learn at university, that it was fantastic. I'd learned a lot about the capitalist global system and neo-colonialism. It, it was, amazing it brought me to the understanding that actually the racism and systems of oppression um, and neocolonialism i was witnessing in south africa was actually a global issue and that countries like holland or like 
are just as much involved in much more subtle ways, but that it was truly a global um, situation. And yeah, and that brought me to a very radical change in my life where I realized I'm not going to learn what I need to learn on the mental level only. And I changed my life. I went on a pilgrimage through South Africa where I just, this was 1990, 1991, six months, and I just walked through the country. So it was just after Nelson Mandela had been released or in that period, and the violence was at an all-time high across the country. And somehow, I, I can't even say that I was courageous. It was as if I had no other choice but to find out what I needed to find out on the ground by walking and by meeting my country and my people. And I had an amazing experience of, yeah, I guess one of the most extraordinary experiences that I had was that I, I often felt more protected by the dark-skinned people that I met than by the white-skinned people because I was such an a normal phenomenon a young white Afrikaner woman walking with you know in the end like I was mainly walking with very little money so hardly any money you know just and just sleeping outside on the beach usually um, and it was like just something that fell out of the society so deeply that the the way that women are so-called protected in the white society didn't fit yeah so it really also shifted a lot in my understanding of where violence lives in the society <laughs> And it shifted my whole connection to the universe, literally, because I, I dropped out of all safety nets, um, especially the safety net of um, security through money, security through um, following the main pathways that society opens to you. And it allowed me to come home to the land. Um, I had a deeper connection to the stars, to the sky, to the sea, to the plants that were growing. And for some reason, the beauty of nature and the depth of nature gave me a solace and a healing that was not forthcoming anywhere else. And the other thing was that my movement through life I started to come back to my own rhythm. I started following my own intuition again. Who do I speak to? Who do I not speak to? How do I find my path through a black township where I'm not really allowed to be or, you know, I'm told it's extremely dangerous to be or, you know, I was walking through all the parts of the country that I wasn't allowed to go to as a child. So it was this, ah, deep, liberation i feel as i speak now from some of the cultural agreements that make our lives very small that happened to me 
Yeah, and from that I actually ended up in a community where black and white people live together and that was my initiation into the community movement and I decided, okay, I thought I wanted to change the world through science, learning about cultural communication and or through politics, activism. Now Nelson Mandela is released. I know apartheid is over. Um, I don't feel that pure science is calling me. But this I understand. Building regenerative communities that are become like a healing impulse in their environment and grow the new culture that we're searching for bottom up without fighting the old system, I understand it. And I feel that even the healing processes that were happening, the restoration processes, the acknowledgement processes that were happening in community between black and white people, um, you know, they were hopefully on a par with the Truth and Reconciliation Committee work. But if I see where South Africa is today, I see that this work has not yet been done of actually um, the subtlety of the deep um, nervous system interchange, acknowledgement, melting the ice so that true solutions can arise. And um, yeah, it leads to a continuation of a lot of violence in my home country, South Africa. Yeah, so working just to, you know, I know I'm speaking a long time, um, but basically my work with the Global Ecovillage Network took up the next 30 years of my life, literally until 2020, um, building community, traveling through communities, learning about community, um, then going very deeply into communication, the social, what is collective wisdom, how can we in communities move to the highest possible common denominator instead of the lowest? Um, those questions really became drivers in my life. And I ended up as the CEO of the Global Ecovillage Network for quite a while. I worked for 15 years full-time in the organization. And um, yeah, supported the African Ecovillage Network to grow. So I had a lot of possibility to bring my longing for healing into a shape in the world, while at the same time understanding that this is something we can only do with. So I can help support building supportive structures for this, but I'm not doing the work. Anyone who's creating healing community anywhere in the world is doing the actual work and you know we've grown to a place where we were able to acknowledge and relate to over 6,000 communities in the world that were actually doing this healing work and that was the number like one two years ago it takes a lot of research to be able to prove it and have the addresses and the email addresses of people which is becomes impossible when you move to the north of Senegal or you know Cameroon or anywhere, but we literally um, built this global network on all continents with equal um, 
presence in the board, in the global assembly, etc. So lots of space for intercultural exchange. And in this journey, what I came to realize is that all of these big communities, some of them very old, like now I live in the Finthorn community in Scotland, which was founded 60 years ago this year. Um, so 62, I believe that makes it. Um, yeah, and I experienced that all of these communities seem to have a similar trajectory where there's a very strong healing impulse, which creates a lot of transformation and growth and people come and are completely transformed. And it is a very, very strong motor for transformation and change and upgrading to what feels like a healing way of growing food, of interacting, of being with nature, of growing alternative economic approaches, culture, bringing in forms of spirituality that are inclusive. And, and then it feels like it stops. It's as if communities reach a ceiling. Even though there's a lot of psychological capacity and skill, and I came over time, and even sometimes the founders or a lot of the early people go to the outskirts of the community to continue very vibrant and creative work, starting new startups or networks, which is wonderful. And it's like a natural way of, you know, growing a structure. But it was also clear that the structure itself was not upgrading itself any longer. And a lot of visitors come more and more and they go through a similar transformation process, but the whole system doesn't continue evolving. And I started realizing that this is where we hit the edges of collective trauma.